Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 73, A Conversation About Color. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you are new to Filming with Josh, I want to welcome you today. Filming with Josh is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. We also have a Facebook group that you can join. If you go to Facebook and type in Filming with Josh, you can ask to join the group today, and I'll be sure to approve that as soon as I see the request. Filming with Josh is just a place to come and chat about all things video. Whether it's on the podcast or whether it's in the Facebook group, we talk about everything and anything that has to do with video from from color grading which we're going to talk about color today to audio and sound design to storyboarding to cameras and gear and tech you name it we talk about it even down to numbers and pricing and contracts we try to cover as much as we can on this podcast so that if you if you're new to video or even if you've been doing it for 25 years, but you're just trying to learn more about how you can improve your business or how you can improve your workflow, we try to chat about all of that here. So uh, welcome to Filming with Josh. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. And today you are joining us for a conversation all about color. Um, Color is a really important topic when it comes to video production because it has a lot to do with video, right? And when you watch a video, the first thing that you notice is what the image looks like and color has a whole heck of a lot to do with that. So today I want to chat about color. I want to demystify some things for you. I want to talk about grading. I want to talk about picture profiles. I want to talk about uh, how light affects color. I want to talk about all kinds of things. So uh, stay tuned. This is going to be an interesting podcast. If you feel like some of it goes over your head, just replay it, watch it again, or go to the Filming uh, with Josh Facebook group and ask some questions there, and we will try to uh, have a conversation where we can answer those questions for you. How I want to start this podcast episode is I want to just talk about why color is important. I feel like that's such a a great place to start. I think a lot of times we take color for granted when we're watching films or TV shows or movies or Netflix documentaries, Uh, but color is very impactful and it's a tool that can be used to convey emotion. It's a tool that can be used to convey even a temperature. I mean, if you watch a video that has a cool tent and it's set in Alaska, it might naturally make you feel cold. Uh, but on the flip side, if you watch uh, a movie that's set in uh, on a beach in Mexico and it's in the summer and they grade everything kind of warm, it's going to feel warm to you. Uh, like Color can do that. Color is a really impactful tool. But it doesn't always have to be emotional. Color can just be simply about having good skin tones and having good greens and good blues. But either way, color is an important aspect of the visual part of video. And if you have a video project that has poor color, people will notice. But if you have a video project that has great color, people will, again, notice. And they'll remember that and they'll think about that like, wow, man, that project looked really good. Even if they don't know it's the color that makes it look good, they'll just look at it and know that something about that project looked great. And how you get to that point 
can seem daunting, especially if you are new to video and you're new to coloring and editing. I know when I got started in video, color was something that I had a really hard time wrapping my head around. And it took years, honestly, for me to fully understand what a good workflow for color is. And the thing is, is I've been doing video for well over a decade and I'm still constantly tweaking my color workflow and I'm constantly learning about more ways that I can grade my projects or do things because it's it's an ever-evolving industry and you can't ever really know everything that there is. Even if you're a pro colorist, there will still be things that you'll learn. And so for me, this is something I'm constantly striving to improve, but I want to today share some things I've learned along the way that I think might help you. Uh, even if you've been doing video for a long time, these things might be able to help you to nail down a, a more consistent workflow so that you can um, have really great color in your projects. One of the first things that you can do to improve your color is actually your lighting. Uh, we'll get into more color grading and picture profiles and things in a minute, but I want to start with light because light is an extremely important part of color. Uh, several years ago, I did the world's worst <laughs> music video. I've never put it online ever because I don't want anybody to ever know I had anything to do with it. It was the worst song you've ever heard. I mean, seriously, it was the strangest song. I don't even, when the, when the musician played it for me, my wife and I were like, what the heck is this? Were you like tripping on acid when you wrote it? I mean, it was really bad. And I will never, ever put that video online for anyone to see. But I have posted some screenshots from the music video shoot I did for that musician simply because I thought that the footage turned out really nice. And back then at that time, I was using uh, an FS7, which shoots in 10-bit, um, but I was also using some mirrorless cameras that I used quite a bit in that music video, and uh, they only shot 8-bit. And you might read online that 8-bit, and we'll get into some of this in a little bit, but you might hear online like, oh, you know, 8-bit, you can't really color grade, you can't really push, push an 8-bit camera around, but you can get amazing color out of an 8-bit older mirrorless or DSLR camera if you just know how to light, because lighting plays a massive role and color. And on that project for that music video, we spent a lot of time on how we colored each and every shot through light. We set up mixed color lighting, whether it was red and blue or whether it was greens. We, we did all kinds of mixed color lighting in the project that really uh, made skin tones uh, pop, especially because we were working with uh, some actors actors, paid actors that had darker skin tones. So the blues and reds really reflected off their skin in a really pretty way. And even when we shot some scenes that we wanted to be a little warmer, where we used more of a tungsten color in our lights, just the way it reflected off the skin looked beautiful. And we uh, mixed in just creative ways of using negative fill along with like lighting one side of, the, of these individuals for this music video and and again it just popped and it, it looked so rich and all of that had to do with the light it had nothing to do with anything I did in, in, in post it was all just the lighting um, just a real creative lighting project that allowed me to um, allow me to really just paint the image with light I, I say that a lot I, I, I if you listen to this podcast you've heard me probably several times say the word painting with light because I'm a big believer in painting with light you know to me lighting is your paintbrush and that is how you can uh, ultimately 
uh, color your images the best is how you light it. Um, but obviously, even after you light something creatively, there's a process that you have to go through and post, and we're, we're going to get into some more of that. But I just want to start by saying that light has a humongous role in the color of your projects. Even if it's um, something that you're shooting outside in the morning sun or late in the evening, that beautiful goldish warm sun is lighting and coloring your footage in a way, right? In a really beautiful way, especially if you nail your white balance. And, and that sun, that lighting, it is acting like your 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 primaries and, and, and the color grading wheels and post in a way, right? Because it it's painting your picture for you. So I, I bring this up at the beginning of the podcast because when you are approaching a shoot, whether it's an interview, that's just a basic interview with you know, some basic lighting gear or whether it's something really complicated like lighting a music video like what I just uh, discussed a second ago or whether you're shooting outside natural light or whether you are doing something really creative uh, for a commercial shoot or for a short film, how you light or approach light, whether it's natural light, whether it's taking away natural light with negative fill, whether it's bringing in uh, mixed color lighting, um, and different types of artificial lights, whatever it is, I just want you to think about that. And when you are looking at your projects, don't rely when you're going into a shoot, don't rely on post to make your project look good. Start in the field with how you light your project or how you use the natural light. That's where you start with coloring. You start there. And then when you get home, everything that you do in post should just be to enhance what you did in the field with the light in the field to begin with. So every time you approach a shoot, just remember that lighting is going to play the biggest role in what your color looks like, not what you do in post. Now that I have gotten that out of the way, I want to start by talking about picture profiles. And I'm going to try to keep this podcast kind of concise. So you probably notice I'm kind of going to gun through these, but it's just simply because I don't want this to be like a three hour podcast about color because it easily could be. <laughs> um, but we'll get into uh, picture profiles right now. When you buy a camera, whether it is a, you know, a, a mirrorless camera, like a, a, a Canon R5, or whether it is a, um, an ENG style cinema camera. Sorry if you hear my baby crying back there. I have zero control over that. He is uh, at home with my wife today, so I apologize. But if you hear a baby crying, that is my son Wilder. <laughs> but whether you're buying a mirrorless camera or whether you're buying an ENG style cinema camera like a Sony FX9 or FX6, or whether you're buying a, a full-blown cinema camera like a Red V Raptor, um, these cameras typically have some sort of picture profile options. Not every camera does, like the Sony A9 and A9 II mirrorless cameras, for example, did not come with picture profiles for some very odd reason. But most cameras are going to give you access to some picture profile options. And what profile you choose will definitely affect what you can and cannot do in post. And that's really important because when you make a choice in the camera to bake in a certain look. The more of a look you bake into the camera, the less you can do with it later on. And that's really important when you're pick picking a picture profile because if you pick something like log, for example, when you get home, you will have a lot of latitude to be able to 
upgrade your images to taste. But if you are baking in some sort of a Rec. 709 picture profile that's got color baked in because you don't want a touch log, then when you get back in post, you have a lot less latitude to manipulate the color. You don't have as much dynamic range in the highlights and shadows. You don't have as much room that you can push uh, warm tones or cool tones. You won't if you have a, a complex shot inside of a living. Sorry, guys, I don't know why my baby's crying. Now, if you have a complex shot inside of a living room, for example, and you want to mask out a window and change the the highlights in the window, but but keep the lighting the same inside the room. You know, if you bake in that picture profile, you're not going to really be able to do that. And so your your camera, how it uh, interprets color and how much dynamic range you get, all starts with the picture profile because you can bake out a lot of your dynamic range if you pick a picture profile that bakes in the color. And there are reasons to do that, and we'll get into that here in just a second. But just know that your picture profile does play an important role because it could be the difference between coming home and having the ability to mask out that window and bring the highlights down so you can see both inside the room and outside the room, or not being able to have that because you baked all the highlights out by burning in a picture profile. So it's really important that when you grab your camera and you set it up for a shoot that you keep that in mind. Now you might ask, why would you bake in color? Why would you bake in a picture profile? And why not always have it to where you have the most dynamic range, the most flexibility in post? Well, there's a few times where I think it's good to bake in your picture profile. One is if you're going direct to broadcast, if you are you know, doing live broadcast news, if you are covering a basketball game, if you are covering a football game, anything like that, where you're doing direct to broadcast, obviously you're not really wanting to do a whole lot of coloring there because it's going direct to live. So in that, in those cases, you need to pick some sort of a picture profile that's got a really nice, pleasing, baked-in look. Uh, same thing if you're doing live streaming. If you're going uh, straight to live stream, I do a lot of live streaming. I do all of my live streams with a baked-in picture profile, baked-in look where the color's already there in the, in the camera so that um, people watching the live stream aren't looking at a flat log image. <laughs> um, same thing goes with uh, if you're doing anything that is not going to have really any post work done to it. Maybe you're shooting some social media content and you're literally going to like shoot it and then go straight online and you're going to do like no post work, then in, in that case, you you know, it's probably a good choice to bake in your, your color through a, a picture profile. And then lastly, if you are hired by another production company and you are hired to, to shoot for them or be a DP for them or whatever, and they tell you that specifically, hey, we don't, we don't want to mess with coloring. We would rather you give us ready-to-go images with with the color burned in. That's another time when you would want to bake in uh, uh, bake in a look inside your camera. So, what does that look like? Well, when you're when you're picking a picture profile, um, there are obviously log is a is a profile option, and we're going to get to log in a minute. But when you're picking a burned in picture profile, there's no right or wrong way to choose one. It really just comes down to what looks good to you. And and I know that's not probably the answer that some people want because I know when you get started in video, sometimes you just want people to tell you, what picture profile should I choose? But but the honest answer is, is that it just depends on you. It depends on you and what looks good to you or what looks good to your client or what looks good to the production company that's hiring you. You know, whatever you think looks good or whatever they think looks good is what looks good. I mean, remember at the end of the day, uh, video is 
something that is very, uh, it, it is a very um, opinionated business. You know, everybody is going to have their own thoughts on the way something looks and, and whether it, it subjectively looks good or bad. So whether you are happy with it or not really just comes down to your own subjective view on what it looks like. I mean, there is no right or wrong answer here. It's completely subjective. So when you are getting a camera, I suggest just looking at the different picture profiles that come in the camera and seeing if you find one that you like. And if you find one that you like, but it's not quite perfect, you can usually change options within the picture profile. You can tweak the contrast or tweak the saturation. I typically don't do that because I find that camera manufacturers, for the most part, um, when they create picture profiles for their cameras, they tend to spend the time on designing each and every one of those picture profiles. So I tend to leave the default settings for each picture profile alone and I just roll with what which which profile I like the best and call it good. I'm not one to really tweak any of that, but you certainly can. And there's definitely reasons to if you have a profile you kind of like but you want to adjust it to make it even better to your taste. That's totally fine. But just remember when you're picking in a baked in look, we're not talking log, right? We're not talking raw. We're talking about when you're picking a picture profile with a baked in look where the color is burned into the image. It is completely subjective. There's no right or wrong answer. Just pick what looks good to you or what looks good to your client. I will say that today, if I'm doing something that's live streamed or if I am shooting for a client, like a, another production house that specifically asks for a ready-to-go image, with my Sony cameras, I'm shooting as Cinetone. I like it. I think it looks really, really good. I think out of all of the baked-in picture profile options that Sony has offered over the years as Cinetone, in my opinion, and again, this is completely subjective, but in my opinion, it's the best-looking baked-in or burned-in picture profile option Sony has offered. And I have seen some fantastic images shot with S-Cinetone, and I myself have shot some stuff out of S-Cinetone that I've been really happy with. Now, would I shoot everything in S-Cinetone? Absolutely not. 99% of the time I'm shooting in log, which we're going to get to in a second. But if I'm live streaming or if I'm doing something straight to broadcast, which I really don't do much of, or if I'm shooting for a production house that specifically asked for a burned in look, my default is S-Cinetone. I don't really adjust anything on the cameras. I run with the default S-Cinetone settings because again, I feel like Sony did a great job of dialing in uh, what S-Cinetone should look like. And so I just leave whatever default S-Cinetone settings there are uh, alone and just roll with that. I do that on both my A1s and my FX6 and I think it looks really, really good. And so if I'm streaming, that's what I'm using. If I'm shooting for another production house and they they want a burned-in look, that's what I'm going with. But that is, again, subjective, and that is completely just my decision based on uh, what I like the look of. And if you are a Canon shooter, you're not going to have access to that, but you're going to have other options that are going to be you know, Canon's version of that. Same thing with Panasonic or, or so on and so forth. So if you're looking for a burned-in look, if you're a Sony shooter, try a Cinetone. I think it looks great. Um, maybe you won't like it. Maybe you'll like Cine 2 or Cine 4, uh, but that again is completely subjective, but just find something that looks good to you and roll with it and be happy with it. And don't worry too much about it because if you are doing something that's going on live air or that's going to live streaming or, or that, 
you know, you're not going to be grading at all, that you're just going to throw online, then chances are you don't care as much. I mean, you you care, but you're not going to care to the extent you would if you're going to be working on it in post. So just pick something that looks good and and move on with your life. That's just kind of my my best advice there. But when it comes to ba- picking a baked-in look, that that's kind of um, – when, when you're sorting through your picture profiles, that's kind of the best way to do it. Just find something that looks good to you. Now let's talk about log. Log is a picture profile option. And log is something that I think throws a lot of people off. And so today I, I want to demystify log. If I had a dollar for every person that I have spoken to that has have told me that they don't shoot in log because they don't want to spend the time grading in post or they don't have time to color each and every shot in post, I I could retire in my business right now. <laughs> it's really funny to me too because log could not possibly be easier to grade. There's a multitude of ways to color log. I've done several videos on it. You can find those on my Vimeo cha- uh, page on Rustic River Media uh, or you can go to the Filming with Josh group and just go to the little search bar on Facebook. I'm Filming with Josh and and Google like coloring log uh, or search coloring log and you'll find some videos or some topics where I've, I've covered this. But for some reason... People seem to get it in their head that when you shoot in log, you're going to have like all of this work to do in post. And and I don't mean to be rude. I really don't. But I'm going to say this in a very strong way (laughs) because it's just true. But if you feel like log is a bunch of work, then you don't know how to color log. That's just the truth of the matter. Anybody who has any experience who actually knows how to color log understands that it's actually just as fast as coloring a baked-in Rec. 709 look. And if you want to argue with that, then you don't know what you're doing. And I don't mean that to be rude. It is just factual information. If you think that log is complex, if you feel like it's a lot of work, then you don't know what you're doing. And that's okay. I didn't know what I was doing when I first shot in log. My very first time of shooting in log was the Sony A7S Gen 1. And at the time, the the base ISO, the low base ISO was 3,200. <laughs> so it was like really, really, really high for your low base ISO. And it was an 8-bit camera, you know, and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing with log. And uh, I completely underexposed it. And I got home and couldn't figure out how to color it. And I was like, dude, anybody who shoots in this is stupid. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you know, a couple years down the road, when I got my first FS7 and I started learning about log, it was like, oh, wow, like this could not possibly be easier. But it was just because I didn't know the process. And so today, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to argue with me on that and you think that 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 log is some complex thing that takes a lot of time, then you really just don't know what you're doing. And again, that's okay. But I don't want you to to throw log under the bus and and say you're never going to use it because you don't have time for it just because you don't understand how to use it. And I'm hoping that through this podcast, I can kind of demystify how to use it a little bit. Let's start by talking about what log is. Log is a very, very flat image. When you shoot in log, sometimes I equate it to it kind of looks almost black and white. That's what I tell my clients. There is some color there but it's very faint. The image is going to look very, very bare. It is like the wasteland of color. (laughs) There's nothing on it for the most part. Very lacking in contrast and just almost looks black and white. And the point of that is you are maximizing your camera's dynamic range and you are 
capturing the most highlight detail and most shadow information or shadow detail that you possibly can. That's what dynamic range it means. If you're listening to this and you're you're not quite sure what dynamic range means, but you've heard that term tossed around a bunch, it just means that a dynamic range is, and, and it does, dynamic range doesn't just have to do with video, it also has to do with audio, but dynamic range in video terms has to do with how much highlight information and shadow information you can squeeze into a single image. And audio is the same way. A, a, an audio file that has high dynamic range means it's not very compressed. It can have really loud peaks and really, really, really soft peaks in the same in the same uh, track. If you have an audio track that's really compressed, you're squishing the audio's dynamic range by by bringing up your low points and squishing down your high points. And, it, and, and there's a difference between a compressed track and a track that's got more dynamic range. If you watch a movie, a lot of times there's going to be a lot of dynamic range there because there's going to be moments where things get loud and there's going to be moments where things are really soft and subtle, right? But if you put something on YouTube and you want everything to have the same loudness level, you're compressing it and taking the dynamic range out. The same is true about video and coloring and, and logs, for example. The camera's dynamic range is its ability to have um, the, the most information that it can in the highlights and the most that it can in the shadows at one time. And you can compress that and reduce its dynamic range, and you will when you create your final image. You absolutely will. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand that. When you have a high dynamic range image that's going to a Rec. 709 export, you are squishing out the camera's dynamic range. But the point of shooting a log is you get to choose where the dynamic range is. When you bake in your picture profile, like a Cinetone for us Sony shooters, for example, you don't get to pick where the dynamic range gets squished out. The camera is picking for you based on how you expose the image. But if you shoot in the log, when you get get to post, you get to pick where the dynamic range falls and where you squish out the dynamic range. And that's the beauty of shooting in log. There are other benefits too, things like banding. If you shoot uh, a sunset, for example, there's a multitude of colors in a sunset. And even in a blue sky, there's usually a multitude of colors of blue. You don't sometimes realize that, but you can see banding in the sky on a sunset, for example. And if you shoot in a 10-bit or higher camera and you shoot in log, you can retain more information to reduce the risk of banding. Now, you might be asking, what is banding? Well, have you ever watched a video online or on, on TV and you notice in the sky that there's these little bands, they're almost like a band of blocks that are kind of faint, but you can see them. And the worse it is, the more in your face it is. But it's like these little bands that stack on top of each other, almost like a rainbow. And that is where your image is starting to band or, or, or starting to fall apart. The higher dynamic range your camera has and the more uh, color depth it has, like 10-bit, 10 10-bit, 10 for example, or 12-bit uh, or 16-bit RAW, for example, those thicker codecs and those stronger images can retain more color and can stop the image from having that banding effect. What creates banding is a camera's inability to capture all the colors and to capture all of the changes that are happening in an image. And it can't, it can't capture it, it can't retain that information, so it breaks. And when it breaks, that's where you're seeing the banding. That's why shooting on cameras that are like 10-bit and higher, for example, are so desired by people like me, because we want to reduce the risk of banding on shots. Or if we're coloring in post and we're pushing an image, we want to 
to reduce the chance of the image breaking. And literally, literally, you can see the moment it breaks where where the image, you've, you're pushing the color, and all of a sudden, you just see these weird blocks show up, and the image starts to fall apart. The more dynamic range your camera has, the more information that you're capturing, like 10-bit or 12-bit or higher, and the higher bit rate you have, the less risk you have of that image breaking when you're pushing the grade. So that's something that's really important to people when you're going to be coloring your camera or your images in post or whether you're going to be, even if you're not coloring your images, but if you are trying to capture the best looking baked in picture profile that you can, the better dynamic range your camera has, the more color depth it has, the less risk you have of running into things like banding or blocking or where your image starts to fall apart. Now, back to log. Log is recording a really flat image. And again, guys, I said this is kind of a confusing, could be a confusing podcast if, you, if this, some of this is new to you. So I want to encourage you to listen to it a couple times or go back to filming with Josh, ask some questions because I know this is a lot of information. But back to log. Log is a flat picture profile option that is not burning in very much color. It is instead just capturing data and is showing you an image that almost looks black and white. But the point of it is that you can have a ton of information in the highlights and a ton of information in the shadows. Now, you will never want to export a bare log file. You don't want to just put that in your timeline and export it. You know, you you have to convert that log to a different format like Rec. 709. And we'll get to that when we get to color management here in just a bit. So log will not always look flat. It only looks flat when you're shooting it and bringing it into post. But the idea is just that, again, you are capturing as much information as you possibly can so that you have not only more control in post, but just a more pleasing image in post. Like the way that, like if you ever, if you ever looked at like a GoPro image or an image from your cell phone and noticed that when you're pointing it at the sky, the moment that, like you might have like a blue sky, but as soon as, like let's say you have the sun in the frame, you have like a blue sky and then all of a sudden the blue just stops and becomes really harsh and white. <laughs> That's happening because it's what we have, what's what we call like a harsh roll off, highlight roll off, where the sun and, and the bright sky that's next to the sun when it meets the blue part of the sky, your your camera, if it has a harsh roll off, you're gonna distinctly see the moment it goes from that blue sky to that bright white part of the sky. But if your camera has a really soft highlight roll off, then it will gradually go from that brightness to back into the blue sky. And having a, a, a shooting in log, having a camera that shoots in log gives you the ability to not only have more color information and less risk of banding and things like that, but it even gives you that softer highlight roll off where the moment the sky goes from a bright white to the blue part of the sky, it does it in a nice, gradual, subtle, subtle curve so that it looks really gradual and natural, not harsh like your cell phone. So again, log gives you access to things like that, access to that soft highlight roll off access to that wider dynamic range. But again, when you shoot in log, you do have to convert it and get it to look like a colored image. And, and, and so it's, it's not going to look flat, but when you get to the colored image, typically not only you're going to have more control, but it's just going to look prettier. It's going to have softer highlight roll off and it's going to have less banding risks. So that's why we shoot in log. Log is a fantastic format. And there are a lot, a lot, a lot of movies and TV shows today that are shot in log. 
there, and we're going to talk about raw today in the podcast, but a lot of people think that every movie and TV show is shot in raw. And that is actually not true. Tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of really high-end commercials and movies and documentaries are shot in log because log is capturing a ton of dynamic range and it can give you a beautiful image with a ton of flexibility in post and a really easy workflow. And that's what I want to get into now. The demystifying part of log that I want to do today is I want to explain why log is easy to handle in post. Too many people seem to think, again, like I said earlier, that when you shoot in log, you have all of this work that you have to do because you come back and you pull up this image and post and it's flat and it looks black and white. And now you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do to fix this? But it should not be complicated. To convert that log image into a colored image can be done several different ways. My two personal favorite ways are to convert using a LUT or to convert using a color managed workflow. We'll start with the LUT. When you are working with a log image, if you go online, you can typically find LUTs made by the camera manufacturer of your camera that are designed to take that flat log image and convert it to a colored image. And all a LUT is, LUT stands for lookup table, and all a LUT is, is it's just a file that contains a bunch of data and information that tells your computer editing program, your NLE, whether it's Premiere or Final Cut or Resolve or Avid, it tells that NLE um, how to change your footage to look like something else. And so if you get a LUT for a log image, for example, and you apply that LUT to the log image, it will know that the computer will know to con convert that log image to whatever the LUT tells it to convert it to. That's essentially on a very basic layman's term level. That's all uh, a, a LUT really is. It's just a it's just a, a a series of data that's in a file that tells your computer how to convert your log footage into something else. Now you can get LUTs that are made for non-log images, but I don't really recommend those. Those are like Instagram filters. You can go online. Everybody and their brother is selling LUTs today, and all it is is just they tweak a project and they think it looks good, and so they create a LUT out of it, and basically you are buying their coloring settings. Like that's all it is, and you're applying your their coloring settings to your footage, and nine times out of ten it's going to look like crap. So that, if, if you've bought LUTs before and you've been disappointed in them, it's usually because you're not buying the right ones. What you want to buy is what I like to call technical LUTs. These are LUTs that were actually specifically designed for a specific camera and a specific picture profile to bring that specific picture profile from that specific camera to life. And most manufacturers make LUTs. When you buy a Sony camera, for example, and you are shooting in Sony S-Log3, S-Gamut 3.Cine, that's the default kind of go-to log setting for Sony cameras. On Sony's own website, you can buy their LC709A LUT. And all it is is just a LUT that Sony colorists and engineers designed that is designed specifically for their cameras when, when their cameras are set to S-Log3, S-Gamma3.Cine. So when you come home with that flat, black and white looking log image, all you do is you add that LUT to it and post and boom, your image is colored. It's literally that fast. If you are a Canon shooter and you're wanting to shoot in C-Log, whether it's C-Log 2, C-Log 3, if you go to Canon's website, you can download from Canon themselves 
Canon's technical LUTs that are designed to convert their cameras from C-Log2 or C-Log3 to a really pretty looking Rec. 709 image. And again, just like with Sony footage, all you do is you just impost, hit add LUT, boom, done, your image has got color. It's that simple, guys. It really is. And if you're shooting all your footage from the same cameras, like I shoot with FX6 and two Sony A1s, all of my cameras are Sony, and all my cameras shoot to S-Log3, S-Gamut3.Cine. So in that case, in post, if I'm working in Premiere, which I moved to Resolve, we'll talk about that today, but if you're working in Premiere, for example, where I used to work in, you could create an adjustment layer and add the LUT one time, and now that adjustment layer in your timeline will auto-color any log footage that you drag onto the timeline. Or you could even go to the project settings in Premiere and, like, highlight all your footage and right click and go to interpret footage and then hit the LUT that you want to use and boom, all your log footage now has color. You see what I mean? Like that's how easy it is to, to convert log to color. So when people say, oh, log is a ton of work, it's not. You could literally drag all your footage into Premiere and then when it's in Premiere, just highlight it all, hit right click, interpret footage, and then click the LUT you want to use and boom, all of a sudden, all of your log footage is colored. And I don't care if you shot 25 days worth of log footage for a project, you can highlight it all and then just tell Premiere to add the LUT and boom, done, all your footage is colored. Like it's that simple, guys. It's that simple. That's why I try to I'm wanting to like try to demystify this for you because if you think it's complex, then you've never tried that. And you might say, well, I have tried it, but I've tried it with, you know, Joe Blow's LUTs I bought and they just didn't look good. Well, that's because you're not buying, you're not like using technical LUTs. And technical LUTs are free. They're from the manufacturer. Sony makes them, Canon makes them, Airy makes them, Panasonic makes them. Blackmagic makes them, everybody makes them. So it doesn't matter what camera brand you're shooting with. If they have that camera brand or that camera manufacturer has log in their cameras, which most of them do, then you will be able to find on their websites. Maybe you have to Google search it. Maybe it's not easy to find because you have to go to Google first, but you will find that every single one of those manufacturers makes LUTs for their cameras. Don't buy Joe Blows off the streets buy ones that are designed by the manufacturer specifically for your camera. I will say there is one guy who does make LUTs that are very similar to the Sony manufacturer LUTs, but with some slight tweaks, and they are made by a guy named Joel Falamalu, and his LUTs are called Phantom LUTs. They work really well. They're very similar to Sony's LUTs, just with a very, very slight tweak here and there. Um, but they're basically technical LUTs designed for S-Log3, S-Gamma3.Cine. So you could buy those. They're pretty cheap. But you could just go to Sony's website and get the free ones that are made by Sony themselves and get a really great, pleasing image. And again, you can create an adjustment layer and apply the LUT and drag it on your timeline and boom, done. Or you can highlight all your footage, interpret, right click and interpret footage, add the LUT that way. Um, you could do it by the shot. You could right click your right click on each individual shot and add the LUT that way in the Lumetri panel. Or not right click, but just click on the clip and go to the Lumetri panel and add it that way. Uh, but my suggestion is just to hi highlight all your clips in your bend and add it there. Then it's done. And when you add the LUT, it genuinely is bringing your camera's images to a to a colored look, and it'll look really pretty with everything I talked about. It'll be a really pretty image with with a, a soft highlight roll off, and you'll get less banding in your image, especially if it's a 10-bit or better camera. You're gonna get all the benefits of shooting in log, and then you just simply add the LUT on by the manufacturer in post, and now you have all the benefits of log plus a really pretty colored image. Now, of course, once you add the LUT, you can go into the Lumetri color panel if you're a Premiere user, and you can adjust the color from there, 
But the idea is you start with log, then you convert it from log to Rec. 709 using a LUT, and then you color the image from there. That's all it takes. And once you do that, it will look great. And think about it, guys. If you're going to shoot a baked-in picture profile, but you're going to be doing any editing in post, you're still going to color your images. Nobody goes out, for the most part, unless you're going straight to live stream or broadcast, or, or, or maybe you're, you know, just throwing your clips online and you're not doing any editing, unless that's you, chances are you're touching the color of your footage. Even if you bake in the color, even if you're shooting in s tone or, or whatever Canon's equivalent of that is, if you are shooting a baked in look, you're going to touch your color in post. We all know you're going to because you're going to see a shot. You're going to say, oh, the it's a little dark or it's a little bright or it, it looks a little blue. I'm going to warm it up a little bit. Like you're going to do that anyway. So all, all shooting and log changes is that you highlight your clips and you right click and interpret and add the LUT first. And then once you do that, you're at the same exact spot you would be if you baked in the look. Now you might be asking if that's the case, then why not bake in the look to begin with? Why not start with the baked in look if adding a LUT is going to put it at the same spot? And the reality is, or the reason why you want to start with log first is because once you add the LUT, it's going on top of an image that you can still manipulate. If you bake in the look, you are still getting rid of highlight information. You're still getting rid of shadow information. You are still clipping those things out and you can never recover it. But if you start with log to begin with and then add the LUT second, all the dynamic range is still there. So if you want to bring your highlights down, the information is still there. It's just under the LUT. Or if you want to bring up your shadows, the information is still there. You didn't bake it out. You are simply lifting your shadows up and raising your shadows and seeing the detail underneath it. Or if you want to push your color, you can push your color any way you want. I'm really sorry about my kid. If you want to push your color, you can push it any way you want and, and still have that information there because the underlying file is a log file. That's the difference. That's why you do it. Because if you start with the baked in look, you can never recover the highlight information or shadow information you bake out. You can never recover the color information you bake out. But if you start with log and then add the LUT, all of it is still there. All of it you can still gain by just bringing the shadows up on your curves or bring your highlights down in your curves or moving your image around to, to whatever color settings you want without banding issues. Like all of that is still there. That's why you start with log. And it's super fast to convert it to Rec. 709. And so that's why I try to like say that log could not be easier to color. And to be honest, I actually think log is faster to color than a baked in look because a baked in look is still gonna need tweaking but the problem with tweaking a baked in look is you got to be really careful with the image or it'll fall apart on you. Whereas if you shoot in a log and you want to do some tweaking, you can tweak it really fast and you don't ever have to worry about it falling apart unless you like do something super crazy. But if you're just like lightly touching it up, it'll handle it really well and you can just, you know, touch it up and move on. And I personally think it's much faster to touch up log footage that has been converted using a LUT than it is to touch up baked in colors. And you're going to get a more pleasing image to begin with because it started with log rather than baking everything out. So for me, I, I, I truly feel like if you just learn how to use log, you'll actually find that it's faster to color in post than baking in your image, which is crazy but it really is the truth. And that's why I say, if you think that log is complicated, it's just because you don't know how to use it. 
I'm going to talk about a different form of color grading now called color managed. And this is something that you can do in programs like DaVinci Resolve. Premiere has tried to implement something similar to this, but it's a total flop and a fail. I would not recommend this for Premiere users. But one of the things that you get from shooting, or I'm not shooting, but grading in Resolve is that you can have an entire color managed workflow. I love this feature about Resolve, and it is one of the reasons that I switched to Resolve. The way a color managed workflow is, is when you create your timeline and your project settings, when you are setting up your, your project in Resolve, on your timeline settings, you get to pick all of the target color space that you want your image to be in. So for example, I tell Resolve that I want to work in a um, in a YRGB color managed workflow. Okay, the color managed option, what it does is after you select that option, you then get to pick what color space you want and what um, you want your output color space to be. So your timeline color space, you get to pick that and then you get to pick your output color space. The, beauty, the beautiful thing about working with a color managed workflow is when you are in Resolve, for example, and you have this set up, when you bring your log footage into Resolve, that LUT that we talked about a minute ago, Resolve auto applies color similar to how a LUT would auto apply color, but you don't even have to add the LUT. It's even faster in Resolve because in your project settings, you're simply saying, hey, I want to shoot, or I, uh, I want uh, my, my timeline color space to be DaVinci uh, wide gamut, and I want the output color space to be Rec. 709, Gamma 2.4, for example. And when you drag your footage in, Resolve will know to add color to your footage and to get it into DaVinci YRGB Rec. 709, Gamma 2.4. And it will auto add the color for you. And it looks amazing. And it looks better even than any technical LUT I've ever used. It looks very, 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 very good. And it saves you from having to apply the LUT in post. You just simply set it up at the project level. You set it in your settings so that when you bring your footage on your timeline, it's already got color applied, yet all the dynamic range is still there. Now, if you are shooting or uh, editing in Premiere, you're not gonna have access to something like that. Now you can in Premiere have it auto apply the LUTs like I discussed a minute ago, but you can't set your timeline up to quite do what Resolve can. So if you are working in Resolve or you're considering working in Resolve, one of the great benefits of working in Resolve is the fact that you can set up a color managed workflow. It's literally a setting uh, and under, your, under the color tab of your timeline settings called color managed. And once you set that up and, and pick your, you know, your, your uh, color space and your, and your gamut, your output gamut space, then at that point, it'll auto color your footage for you. And it is tremendous. And I absolutely love working that way. It speeds up so much time. I can literally just open the project, set my settings and get to work and colors already applied to my log footage, but I get all the benefit of having all the dynamic range and color information that log gets. And it's so much faster than having to work with a baked in look and trying to fix any mistakes you made with a baked in look because log gives you all the freedom and flexibility in post. So if you work in Resolve, couldn't be faster to work with log. 
could not possibly be faster. Um, and, and, and that is a, a, a really great reason to consider uh, moving over to Resolve. So uh, again, I just want to say that log is, it, it is something that seems complex to people because people seem to think that there's like all this work you have to do. But honestly, if you just apply a correction LUT or you just work and resolve and, and set up a color managed workflow, it, it couldn't take you more than literally like five seconds to add color to all your log footage. And then you have more flexibility. So like, that's why I say if you, if you feel like you shouldn't be shooting in log because it's overly complicated, then you don't know what you're doing. And that's okay. That's okay. Because you can go to the Filming with Josh Facebook group and there are several videos and posts I've done on this that will show you how you can color log. I even show you, I even have one video that shows you how to color log by hand without a LUT and how fast that is. Like there are a ton of ways that you can color log extremely fast and it's really simple. So go to Filming with Josh if, if you want to learn more and go to the search bar, type in log and, and find some of those options, some of those videos or posts I've done where I show you how to color and log. It's very, very fast. I haven't done one about a color manage workflow yet, but I'll probably do that here soon. So you'll even see how to use the color manage workflow option uh, if you are interested in working in Resolve. So now that we talked about log, let's talk about raw. I said earlier that a lot of movies and commercials and TV shows are shot in log um, and that there's a misconception that they're all shot in raw. And that is true. But there are a lot of projects that are also shot in raw. Now, what is raw? Raw is similar to log in that you're getting um, a lot of dynamic range out of your camera. You're trying to maximize your camera's dynamic range. But you tend, and, it and I say the word tend because it depends on the raw format, you tend to get even more color information and dynamic range because you are capturing uh, the, the image at a more, more of a raw level before it gets converted to something like log. Um, but I want to say this, all raw, like for the most part, unless you're shooting uncompressed raw, most raw is not actually really true raw. Like if you buy a red camera and you're shooting red code raw, that's not like genuinely a raw image. That is an image that's actually being compressed to a compressed raw image and you get to pick your compression ratio and then from there you get to, to get an image that you work with in post. But it's not actually really completely raw. Like that's a misconception. Now there are uncompressed raw codecs out there but most cameras are shooting some form of compressed RAW. So it's not genuinely a RAW image. It's a compressed version of a RAW image. And that's important to know because there are different levels of RAW. For example, Sony and Nikon can output RAW images from their mirrorless cameras and, 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 and Sony even with their FX cameras. But a RAW image out of a Sony camera is not actually the same thing as shooting in raw on like a red or on an airy. It's different because it's a 12-bit linear raw image that does not have near the flexibility or post options as red code raw. If you're shooting in red, shooting with a red camera and you're shooting in raw and you, you know you pick whatever compression ratio you want, you are going to have a lot more flexibility of what you can do with that image in post than you are with a 12-bit linear raw ProRes file that's being output by Sony, for example. That ProRes raw file from Sony has very limited options of what you can do in post outside of what you could do with the log image. It's like shooting in log, but 
It doesn't bake in noise reduction, which is actually a downside for most Sony shooters because it's you're going to find that your camera's image is actually quite noisy and that your Sony camera is actually really great at handling that noise before it creates a baked in look or a log image. So you are taking on the process of having to get rid of that noise now on pretty much all your footage. And trust me, it's going to be a pain in the butt for you. So if you shoot in ProRes RAW on Sony, for example, that is something that is going to now be part of your workflow. Denoising footage will become part of your workflow if you shoot in ProRes RAW outputting from a Sony camera. And then on top of that, you are getting essentially a log image that you have to denoise, but with a slight added ability to adjust the white balance a little bit more and to adjust the... Um, what uh, log profile you want it to be in. Like if you shoot with Sony, you could actually choose a Canon log profile in post. Now it's not gonna give you Canon color, it's just going to give you the Canon log curve. You can do Panasonic as well. It just basically says how the shadows and highlights uh, work together on, on a curve. And you could literally take a Sony log image and pretty much do the same thing yourself without having to shoot to raw, to, to, to raw I mean. But the, the, the point is that if you shoot with ProRes RAW, at least today in the time of recording this podcast, if you shoot to ProRes RAW from a Sony camera, for example, you are getting a 12-bit image that can only tweak a couple of little things in post, and now you have the burden of having to denoise your own images and you will have to denoise them, which is going to add a lot of work to your post process. So shooting in RAW on a Sony camera is not all you think it's cracked up to be. Not unless you go and, and, and rent a Venice, which is a different story, but if you're listening to this podcast, you're not shooting on a Venice. If you, if you shoot a red by contrast, it's totally different. You have a lot more flexibility in post of how you can process that red image because the image, the, the raw file, has got a lot more information and, a, and, and the pro post process of working with red files gives you a lot more flexibility and a lot more options in post to manipulate your image. So if you're a red shooter or you're interested in shooting in red, there really is a genuine difference between a red's raw image and something like a Sony. Like it's a huge difference. So if you're interested in shooting raw, look at Blackmagic, look at Red, look at Airy, or rent yourself a Sony Venice for a project if you got a big project coming up with a nice budget. Those cameras give you a nice flexible RAW file. But if you're shooting on Sony, don't go out and buy yourself an Atomos recorder and start shooting in RAW. It's really a waste of money and a waste of time. You're going to get arguably, potentially even a better image out of log than you would in, in RAW coming out of a Sony camera. Now, Canon has a nifty little file. Uh, they have a, um, it's a Canon RAW Lite. Or is it Cinema RAW Lite? I always get that mixed up. I'm Googling that right here. It is Canon Cinema RAW Lite. Sometimes I just call it Canon RAW Lite. Anyway, <laughs> Canon Cinema RAW Lite is a very compressed 12-bit RAW file that Canon has. I think sometimes when people see that some Canon cameras uh, can shoot RAW internal, they get this idea that it's like having a RED camera, but it's actually not because you're shooting a very compressed RAW file and it is not going to give you 16-bit RAW out, like our 16-bit RAW image is going to give you a 12-bit RAW image. And on that note, you might have read that Sony cameras can output 16-bit RAW, and they can, but there are no recorders today that can record that 16-bit RAW image at 16-bit RAW. It converts it to 12-bit, so that's why I say the word 12-bit. Canon's 
Cinema Raw Lite is also a 12-bit raw image that can be recorded internally, and it looks really nice. And I, I think there's definitely merit to shooting in it just because Canon gives you more flexibility than the ProRes RAW does. And it looks quite good. But again, it's not the same thing as getting like 16-bit RAW or, or shooting in any of the, of the compression ratios or options that RED has. You're still going to get a lot more flexibility out of a RED RAW image than you are a Canon RAW image. So if you tr truly are just interested in shooting RAW because you want the most data possible, go with something like a RED because you're going to get even out of a $6,000 Komodo, you're going to get more information than you are to work with in post than you are out of like a Sony FX6 outputting RAW. It just is the way it is. So RAW is a great format though, and it does give you some extra options in post, but you also have to understand that there's a little bit more work that goes into RAW than what I discussed in, in log. And log it's as simple as creating a color managed workflow on your timeline and resolve. And then now all your clips are colored and all you can have to do is tweak them from there, but you still get the dynamic range or you can add a lot, but you know, so it's really easy to convert the files shooting in raw, especially if you're working with a camera like a red has a few extra steps. Now, is it a big deal? No, but it is a little bit more of a post process and it's a great process because you do get the ability to, um, wrangle in some more information, but it's not as simple as just like going in and creating color managed workflow and boom, your clips are colored. It can be actually in resolve. There are ways you can make it like that, but on most NLEs, it's a little bit, a little bit of extra work, um, but you do get more information. So if you're looking to maximize your, 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 your potential out of your camera to get the most information possible, not talking about Sony ProRes raw, but if you're shooting with cameras like Canon or Blackmagic, their raw files do give you the most potential out of their cameras. Uh, if you're willing to handle, you know, work with the extra data, and if you're willing to to spend a little bit extra time to actually get the benefit that it brings, uh, I will say I think that 90% of projects out there don't need raw. Like 90% of projects, if you shoot in log, you're getting so much room in log to 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 get a really great image that you really and truly don't need raw. Truly. If you, if you are shooting a project in log today, you are going to get 90% of the way there that you could get with, with raw. And I'm not saying you can't do more with raw. I'm just saying that you can get like 85, 90% of the way there with log. And for like 95% of projects out there, that's good enough. Um, and that's why a lot of movies even are shot in airy, airy log, not even in raw they're being shot in airy log because it looks so good and is so easy to work with in post and and has a really great workflow that's really fast and efficient so do not think you have to have raw to have really great images you can have great images out of a baked in look but you can have amazing images out of a proper log file raw can give you a little bit more data but it's not as much as you think and it's only under special circumstances where you really are going to maximize the potential of that data anyway um, so my advice is for 99% of the people out there, shoot and learn to shoot in log, learn how to grade in log and, and how fast you can, you can color log and get comfortable with it so you can see the benefits of it and work in that because for 99.9% .9 of anything you're going to do, that's going to give you a really great image. It's going to be way more than good enough. And if you can't get a good image out of log, it's because you need to work on your workflow. Like there's something that you're doing wrong there. Um, so don't feel like you have to go out and buy a raw, a raw shooting camera to get great images because uh, that's, that's not true. It just gives you a little bit more data and a little bit more options in post. 
But if you, if you know what you're doing, 99% of the time you don't need that. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about um, my coloring process. I talked a little bit about using log and how I do that, etc. But I want to talk about one thing that I like to do for interviews specifically. I don't do this for every shoot, but I do it for every single interview shoot. When I shoot an interview, I have color charts that I like to put in front of the camera made by Calibrite. Used to be owned by a different company. Calibrite bought that company out. So now they're Calibrite branded charts. But if you go online and you Google Calibrite color charts, you will find a variety of ones. I specifically like the larger video size chart. They're kind of expensive. They're over 100 bucks, but they are a chart that has color chips that are completely calibrated so that they are printed out at the exact color space that they're supposed to be. Because if you could just go print red on a printer, for example, God knows what color red you're going to get. <laughs> These are actual calibrated charts that every chip on the chart is, is dialed in specifically to be a specific color of, of red, of blue, of green, of magenta, of cyan. So... The point of these charts, though, and that, that's why they're expensive, but the point of these charts are is when you buy one, if you put them in front of your camera when you're shooting an interview on, especially if you get like the, the Calibrite like video chart, you can, that's got like a white balance side so you can uh, get a custom white balance. By the way, don't use a sheet of paper for custom white balance. Most printer paper, for example, have tint of blue in it. You don't want that. You want a calibrated white balance card. So if you buy a chart like this, typically one side will have a white balance, um, a white balance side. So that's a big white block. You can use that to get a custom white balance out of your camera. Just, you know, go to custom white balance, point the camera at, at it, hit set and boom, it gives you a custom white balance. 90% of the time it's going to look good and be ready to go and you'll be ready for your shoot. But on the other side is where the color chips are. And what I like to do when I shoot interviews is I have my um, interviewees hold the chart in front of the camera. I hit record for like five or 10 seconds and make sure the chart's in focus. And then I stop recording. And then in post and resolve, I use the, and I have a video on this. So if you want to learn how to do this, again, go to Filming with Josh and uh, look up log coloring and you will see how I color with color charts. But all I do is I use the vector scope along with the hue and saturation and hue versus hue um, uh, HSL options or, or uh, HSL sliders in Resolve. And I basically get each color of the vector scope in Resolve to land on each chip of color on the color chart. And it probably, me explaining this on a podcast, probably going to confuse you. All I'm going to say is go to Filming with Josh and search that on the Facebook group and you'll see a video on it. It's very simple. And by using the color chart, you're pretty much guaranteeing that you can get your camera to have perfectly accurate color when you get home with the perfect amount of blue and the perfect um, hue of blue and the perfect saturation of blue, the perfect amount of red, the perfect hue of red, the perfect saturation of red. Same thing with green, etc. And that way, when you color the chart, you know that your interview color is going to be absolutely dead on. There's no guesswork. It is dead on. Even a custom white balance isn't going to get you dead on. It'll get you 90% of the way there, but a color chart is going to get you dead on color. And my favorite reason for doing this is if I'm shooting on two cameras, even if they're from the same brand, two Sony cameras, an FX6 and a Sony A1, they're the same brand of camera. They're shooting the same picture profile, but they are different sensors and they're going to give you different color 
it might be very close, but it's not going to be perfect. But if you're shooting a color chart on both cameras, your A cam and a B cam for an interview, for example, then in post, if you line the colors up of your vector scope on those chips, like I show in that video, and you do it for both cameras, you take five minutes to do it, then both cameras will be a dead on match. And that is a freaking awesome way to work. It allows me to come home uh, from a two camera interview shoot and guarantee I can get my A cam and B cam to match in color and exposure. And then I can uh, move on to the rest of my project. I just take the time to do that once, boom, everything's color matched. It's awesome. And for every interview I do, because everything is A cam, B cam on my interviews, sometimes I have an A, B and C camera. And I want to know when I come home that I can get them to align perfectly because I do not want to have different colors on my different camera shots, especially if you're cutting from one to the other directly, because your audience might notice that one looks a little warmer than another, or blue shirt might look a little different tint of blue on one camera versus the other. I don't want that. The color chart allows you to nail that every time. So go to Filming Josh, check that out. I highly recommend getting a Calibrate right color chart. They also have like a video passport, which is a small version of the color chart. I have one of those. It's great for, you know, keeping on you when you're running around out in the field. But really the big one is the one you need for doing what I just described because it gives you uh, more, uh, a bigger image for you to be able to match your, um, vector scope to and resolve, but definitely check that video out and look at getting yourself a Calibrite color chart. Um, you'll, you'll be really glad you did. Next thing I want to mention is I want to go back to the color managed workflow and whether you work in resolve or whether you work in premiere or avid or final cut, one important thing I want to note is that what your timeline settings are set to and what your export settings are set to matter a lot. Have you ever been in Premiere, for example, and you've been editing a project and you export it and then you throw it on Vimeo or YouTube and you notice that it doesn't look the same as it did on your timeline? Maybe it's lacking contrast, maybe it's less saturated and it just doesn't look as good as it did on your timeline. 99% of the time, that is because you are not working on a correct color pipeline from beginning to end. Having a color pipeline, and I did a post about this yesterday, I'm filming with Josh, you can find that there. Having a good color pipeline from your timeline all the way through your export allows you to nail the color on your timeline and on your export so they match and that they're in a format that works really well with Vimeo and YouTube. I want you to think about it this way. If you've ever gone to Best Buy and you see a bunch of TVs playing and they're all playing the same thing at the same time, right? Best Buy usually has some video that's looping on all of their TVs at once. But if you'll notice, all the TVs look different, right? You've noticed this. Some are darker than others. Some have more contrast than others. Some have a different color than others. And you might be wondering, why do all these TVs look different? Some of it's the, the profile settings of the TV, and some of it's just the color space that the TVs are playing the color back in. In today's world, where we have Android phones and iPhones and Apple computers and, and PC computers, and we have uh, Apple monitors and Samsung monitors and Toshiba monitors, and we have um, a variety of different brands of TVs, we have different networks, we have different internet browsers, Firefox versus Safari versus Chrome versus whatever. All of those things affect the playback and what your video looks like. You could have a video on YouTube that looks different on an Apple computer than it does on a Windows computer despite the fact both computers are playing the same video from the same YouTube channel. 
and and your monitors will change it. Even your browser will change the way that an image looks. If you look at Chrome and Safari side by side on the same video, they'll look really similar. But if you look at Safari versus Firefox, for example, Firefox will play the video back in a way that looks different than if you played the same video back on YouTube on, on Safari. Unfortunately, we live in a world today where there's so many different screens and monitors and platforms and social media sites, etc., that it is impossible to create a file on a timeline and export it in a format that will look the same on every single device. It cannot be done. So what you have to do is decide where am I going to be putting my video and what format is going to give me the closest thing to what my timeline looks like on the most amount of different platforms or the most amount of devices. And that can be a very complex or confusing subject. I don't want to dive into that today too much because that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. And there are parts of that that go even over my head. But what I will tell you is this. Rec. 709 is the standard starting point for most final destinations, whether it's television, whether it's most movie theaters, whether it is uh, YouTube or Vimeo or whatever, most of them are going to be playing back something in Rec. 709. Uh, sRGB is another format that's coming along, but Rec. 709 today is still the standard. Now, Rec. 2020 is a newer standard that's coming out because of HDR videos, but I don't want to get into that. We'll stay at Rec. 709 and just say this. Because Rec. 709 is a really good starting point, 99% of the time when you are working in a timeline and you are exporting a video, you want to make sure that both your timeline and your export are both, have, are both set to Rec. 709. In addition, there are different forms of Rec. 709. You have Rec. 709 Gamma 2.2, Gamma 2.4, Rec. 709A, etc. It can get quite confusing. I'm going to try to make it really simple. Rec. 709 Gamma 2.4 is the typical broadcast standard for television and movies. It is set for viewing screens that are going to be in dimmer lighting conditions. If you are making a short film and you plan on having it played on at a film festival, you're probably want to, to, to have your timeline and your final export both to be set to gamma 2.4 rec 709. The reason you want your timeline set at that is so that when you're grading, you are grading your files to where when they look good, they will look the same as they export. You don't want to grade in one and export in a different format or it won't look the same. So you want to grade, if you're doing a, a project for a film festival, you're going to want to grade it on Rec. 709 Gamma 2.4 timeline, and you're going to want to export it in the same thing, Rec. 709 Gamma 2.4, and that is meant for a lower or darker um, viewable setting. Now, if you are doing a project that is specifically for web, Gamma 2.2, Rec. 709 Gamma 2.2, is it is made for being played back in brighter situations. Think office buildings, doctor's offices, cell phones that are being viewed in daylight. That typically is what you're going to find more uh, of your um, accurate 
video color space to be if you're outputting to devices that are going to be viewed like online, for example. So if you're going online, instead of gamma 2.4, you're going to want to color grade in gamma 2.2. If you make the mistake of coloring on a timeline that's set to gamma 2.4, but you export in gamma 2.2 because you're at the end of your video, you're like, oh yeah, by the way, this is probably going to go to cell phones and on YouTube or whatever, so I'm gonna make it at gamma 2.2. If you do that, you're gonna notice your export is brighter than if you were to have your ex, uh, than, than your timeline, which is set to gamma 2.4. That's why it's important to pick this first at the beginning and have your whole pipeline from beginning to end look the same. If you are a Mac user, you might notice when you export a video that it looks different on your, even in QuickTime Player than it did when you created it on your timeline. And that's because Mac has a certain way of playing files back that typically look different than what most of your timelines will look like. So to solve that, Resolve, DaVinci Resolve by Blackmagic came out with a format called Rec709A, which allows your Mac or Apple computer to play the footage back in a format that looks exactly on your Apple computer, just like it did on your timeline for Resolve. And then if you upload that file to um, YouTube or Vimeo, it should look the same as well. Um, so as you can see, guys, this can get really confusing really fast. My biggest piece of advice is this. Do a little research about color spaces and and uh, Rec. 709, Rec. 709 Gamma 2.4, et cetera, and just learn it so that you can get the best looking image from your timeline to your final destination. But do take the time to learn that. I think when you watch a lot of like YouTubers online, for example, this is stuff they'll never talk about. But this stuff really matters. If you get hired by a company to make a project, to make a video for them, and it's going to be played on like a movie theater for a pre-roll ad, that's very common. I get asked to do that a lot. If I don't know color spaces, then I can make a video that looks great on my editing program. But looks horrible in the movie theater, right? When projected on pre-roll ads. Or or if I'm if I'm making a video and I it looks great on my timeline, but I send it into a film festival and it looks really dark or or bright or is oversaturated or undersaturated, it's because I I didn't have everything set up correctly. Or if I make a video and I export it and I put it on YouTube and it looks desaturated and uh, is is lacking a lot of contrast then it's because I didn't have this set up correctly. This is very important stuff, and it's very important that you learn this. I'm going to do a video on it to help make this even easier to understand, but my best advice is take the time to learn these things. If you are serious about video and you want to be a professional and you want to actually do this for a living, or maybe you already are do this for a living, doing this for a living, but you want to expand and get into more markets and grow, grow your business, you have to know these things because it matters. If you make a video for a church, and it looks great on your computer, but they project it and it looks washed out on Sunday morning, it's because you didn't know your stuff. This is stuff that you need to learn. On knowing your stuff, I want to make this one last comment. It is important that you take the time to actually learn all the stuff I talk in this podcast today. If you are going to do this professionally, beyond just the color spaces, you need to understand 
how to pick a picture profile that looks good. You need to understand how to work in log. You need to understand a color managed workflow because as you grow as, as a professional in this industry, you're going to get to points where as you get better and bigger and get more clients where these things really matter. And it is important that you learn these things as a professional. These are things you got to take the time to learn. And if you want to ask questions about it, I'm filming with Josh. I'd be happy, happy to try to answer them for you, but you got to learn this stuff because it's very, very important. And I, I watch a lot of these YouTuber guys and they like never talk about this stuff because I think most of the guys just, those guys just make content on YouTube and they don't, actually do real world projects. But if you're in the real world and you're doing projects for for automobile dealerships and movie theater pre-roll ads and stuff that's going on live streaming and stuff that's going to be local television ads or whatever, maybe you're making stuff for church on Sunday, but then the next day you're doing a doc project that's going to be played on a film festival. You have to know all these things. It's very, very important. I have a friend, and I'll wrap up with this. I have a friend who told me recently that he wanted to buy a red V-Raptor. And I asked him why he wanted to buy a red V-Raptor. And he said he wanted the look of a red camera and he wanted access to the raw imagery so that he could get uh, a better looking image than what he was getting out of his current Sony cameras. But this particular friend has never shot in log ever in his entire life. He's been a video a long time, many years, longer than me, but he's never, ever shot in log. He's only shot baked in looks and he's never tried log, but he thinks that it takes a red camera and a raw image to get a really great look that's better than what he's getting today. And I asked him, why haven't you tried just taking the current equipment you have and shooting in log? And he said to me, oh, because log isn't the same thing. It's not going to get you a good looking image. I need raw to have a good image. What that shows you though, is that this particular person has not taken the time to learn their craft or learn their tools. Because if this particular individual, and I've seen this person's work, I'm not trying to judge, but let me just say, he could use a little bit of coaching. <laughs> but this particular individual is not happy with the, the tools he currently has and has this shiny prized red V-Raptor that he thinks is gonna solve all his problems and give him really pretty imagery. But at the end of the day, if he just knew how to actually use his tools to get the most out of them, he'd probably never have to go buy that camera and he'd be a lot happier with the equipment he already has. But instead, he's going to go drop $30,000, $40,000 on a red setup and he's about to do it. And he's going to make that mistake because he thinks that he has to have that to have better images. And it all boils down to his lack of knowledge because he hasn't taken the time to learn this stuff. If he would have taken the time to learn this and he had a proper color managed workflow and he worked in log and he understood how to use his tools correctly and knew his tools inside and out, he probably wouldn't be going and dropping $30,000, $40,000. That's a $30,000, $40,000 mistake that he's gonna make because he doesn't know his stuff. So take the time to learn your stuff, guys. I'm just telling you that because it's very, very useful. It's very important. If you're going to call yourself a professional, you got to learn color. I hope this helps. I hope that this podcast uh, makes you want to go out and learn more about this stuff to research it, read about it, watch videos on it. Again, if any of this confused you, listen to it twice or go to 
filming with Josh and uh, ask questions there, and I'll try to demystify some of this even more, try to help you understand stuff. Again, I have some videos on coloring log already on the Filming with Josh page, uh, but I'll make a color managed one for Resolve soon so you can see how that works. Don't be scared of log. It's really easy to work with. Remember that lighting is uh, essential to coloring. It's more important than your picture profile option, but knowing how to light to get a pretty image, understanding the color pipeline, knowing when to use a baked in look, when to use a, a log look, understanding when and where raw comes into play, understanding the color pipeline. These are all important tools. So I want you to take the time to kind of learn all these things. I want to encourage you to ask questions about it because these are all things that will greatly improve your ability to get great looking images. I appreciate your time and we'll talk to you guys later. Take care. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today. Yeah.